Hello and thank you so much for joining us here at Cardo Kids Cast. I'm your host, Mel Shewitt, and today I'm joined by Race Cars author, Jenny Deveni, and editor, Sharnay Gordon. White parents need to be talking to their children about privilege and racism because otherwise, you know, we see what happens, right? We see that, you know, by the age of 12, children develop all these preconceived notions about the world. Children have all of these um, biases, um, you know, sort of solidified by the age of 12. So there's really only this short window to kind of to get in there and to sort of help them contextualize these messages that they're getting from society. Race Cars, a children's book about white privilege, was created to help parents and educators facilitate tough conversations about race, privilege, and oppression. And I'm particularly honored because Jenny and Charnay are here to talk to each other about the importance of this book and books like this for young readers and how children, parents, educators, and caregivers can use this book to start much wider conversations. So without any further ado, I'll let Race Cars author Jenny Deveni and editor Sharnay Gordon take it from here. Enjoy the conversation. Hey, Jenny. <laughs> How did you come to anti-bias, anti-racism work? Can you share that with us, please? So I'm a social worker by profession, and uh, most of my experience has been doing therapy with children uh, and their families. But I feel like as a social worker, if you're practicing without an anti-racist lens, without an equity lens, then chances are you're you're kind of causing harm to the communities that you're trying to serve. So I feel like anti-racism work and social um, work kind of go hand in hand. Uh, I mean, I think anti-racism work is important for any profession, but especially for social work because of that direct impact that you have on, on your clients. Um, but I actually think that I became interested in anti-racism work years ago before I even knew what what it was called or you know what I was sort of learning about or interested in. I grew up in New York City, which is one of the most diverse cities in the world, um, yeah. but also has one of the most segregated public school systems in the world. And I was a part of that public school system from kindergarten to 11th grade. And I sort of watched as I got older and older, my classes got whiter and whiter. And I didn't really have the context for why that was happening. Um, You know, I know now that there are various um, practices having to do with standardized testing and these sort of selective admissions processes that really benefit um, white people disproportionately. But at the time, you know, I was benefiting directly from those programs um, and really attributing uh, my success to myself, right? And, you know, I was in the gifted and talented program in middle school, which was the predominantly white class in a um, broader, more diverse school. Uh, And then I tested into the specialized high schools. I went to Stuyvesant High School, which again has a racist admissions test, right? Um, But, you know, without this context, I really thought it was just my own capabilities, me, um, you know, I was just working really hard. And then in 11th grade, um, 9-11 happened. So I was in 11th grade during 9-11 and my parents freaked out. My, my high school was a couple blocks away from the World Trade Center and they pulled me out because of the air quality in, in the area. And I went to this very progressive, diverse private school um, on a scholarship. And it was actually at this private school that I learned about anti-racism, anti-bias work uh, through their diversity day. And diversity day was actually a full week of workshops and conversations around race, 
power and uh, privilege and oppression. And I remember this was sort of the first time I was given the language to sort of name what I had been seeing up until that point and sort of to contextualize my experience. And I was sort of blown away by it. And I felt so proud to be part of this, this school, this progressive institution, you know, that was um, teaching me um, all of these things that I, that I kind of had um, felt before, but didn't have, again, the words to sort of name. Um, but that only lasted for so long. I went on, you know, eventually the school kind of revealed its hypocrisy to me, right? I, there were a number of racist incidents that occurred at the school that sort of showed that the, the curriculum was anti-racist, but the institution itself was not, its policies were not. And and really kind of how could it ever have been as inclusive as, as it said it was, you know, it was, it was trying to be with these astronomical tuition fees, with a leadership that was predominantly white, you know, and so I sort of started to, you know, this is when I sort of started to challenge what I was being learned to start to think more critically and became really interested um, in anti-racism. Um, and so that's sort of <laughs> long story, long story short, I actually took a detour and didn't didn't immediately jump into anti-racism work. I became a graphic designer <laughs> first, <Right. laughs> uh, which is where the illustrations come from in the book. Um, but eventually I made my way back to social work. And that's sort of where I kind of started getting more involved with this work. Oh, what a great path that you kind of took to to kind of find your own way and in, into to this work. So what about you? So I know a little bit about your background, but can you tell us, can you tell the listeners sort of a little bit about your history, your career? Yeah, well, for me, first and foremost, I always like to say I'm a, a wife and a mom, uh, you know, to two kids. My, my kids are seven and eight to have a boy and a girl. Uh, and they really are the center of my world and of my joy in my life. I kind of came into this whole diversity, um, inclusivity work, not really being intentional about it. It was more so this was just something that I was passionate about for my own two children, right? This is how I wanted to raise my kids. This is how I wanted to show up in the world, not necessarily for everyone else, but just for my family. And mm -hmm. so out of that, just from me sharing and me just being my authentic self, I decided to start writing a, a blog. This was six years ago when my kids were one and two. And I was really at that time looking for an outlet, a more creative outlet, just because I was right in the thick of diapers and nursing <laughs> and, you know, just uh, all of the joys, but all of the chaos and on all of the messiness that comes with parenthood, right? Even though I loved it, it's life is just messy. And so um, I was in this space where I just felt like I wanted a, a creative outlet. And so I said, well, what what is a topic that I know, you know, a lot about and um, it's always for me it's always been about books and reading and and writing and literacy and so since my kids were so young at the time I was always being asked for book recommendations not only for books for kids but for adults too to read like things about parenting I just said you know what let me just start blogging about this and I did and that was that was six years ago uh, but today you know my background is 
in information technology, computer science. So I have a master's and a bachelor's in computer science, information technology, and I'm still a, a techie at heart every day, but I don't work in that in that field anymore. I made the decision last summer to basically bet on myself, and um, I now work for myself as an entrepreneur and a forthcoming uh, children's book author. And I also do, you know, some some speaking as well about diversity and inclusion. Uh, in addition to that, I started a podcast, uh, some podcast hosts, and the founder of my children's 501c3 nonprofit organization called 50 States 50 Books, where we distribute diverse books for children ages birth to 17, 50 books at a time to each of the 50 U.S. states. So we just started and formed it as a nonprofit, still waiting to get that tax-exempt status from the IRS. So hopefully we'll get that uh, soon. But in addition to that, I, I serve on the, for Reading is Fundamental, I serve on their National Advisory Board for their Race, Equity, and Inclusion Initiative, which is a new initiative that they recently started. So I'm excited about that work. Um, and yeah, and now I'm the editor of, of Race Cars. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just really excited about this journey and, you know, how it has evolved. Wow. Well, that is incredibly impressive. Um, you know, I, as a new mom, I just became a mom. I can barely find the time to shower, let alone do right. those things that you're doing. So I, you know, am so impressed with you and so happy that you came on as editor for Race Cars because I think you made such a difference um, in the book and I feel so lucky to have you on board. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my role, if I can talk a little bit about my role as the editor, because there's, uh, you know, once I started talking about the book, everybody's like, oh, I'm confused. I already have this book. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, so this is a totally different book. I was, I was brought on as the editor, you know, the book, as you know, if, if a lot of people already have it, it was self-published by you, by Jenny, and as a self-published book. What, what year was that? 20, what, 2016? 2016, yeah. Mm -hmm. 2016. Mm -hmm. 2016. So yeah, almost you know five years ago, it, it was a self-published book, and it was picked up by Cordo Kids, and they were the ones that made a decision to bring in an editor, and you know I was the one that was chosen for that. But as the editor, I really tried to read the text and and kind of dig a little bit deeper, make some suggestions, and refine the some of the some of the words um, and some of the text, but the overall storyline, the overall plot is still the same, right? We just brought in some new characters and the ending is is slightly different. But overall the book is still the same, still a great story, I think. But I'm excited to see people make comparisons between the two books and and kind of, you know, see like what are what are their thoughts on on both versions? So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think we were kind of lucky in a way because we got because of that time the book was sort of people were exposed to the book. We got a lot of feedback and yeah. you know and then having your perspective as well. I think the changes really do kind of elevate the book and I think the ending is I'm a lot happier with and and the new characters you know that you brought in. I think that people are going to be really happy. I think it's worthwhile to kind of have these both versions and to, to compare, even talk to your kids about, you know, right. why do you think they made those changes? Because they yeah. were pretty intentional, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited 
to, to see that and to have the book out and into the world and and have people um it's also kind of nerve-wracking too i'll be honest it's it's very nerve-wracking just because you're 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 now opening yourself up to the world right whoever is gonna read this book um but it's also very very exciting so incredibly nerve-wracking <laughs> <laughs> Jenny, why did you decide to write this book originally? So I actually wrote this book five years ago as part of a school project. So I was going for my master's of social work at the Silverman School of Social Work in New York City. And I was taking this phenomenal course called Practice Lab, which is similar to an undoing racism workshop, if you're familiar with with those. Basically, a course that was trying to engage social work students in conversations around privilege, power, and oppression to really create an anti-racist social workforce. As a kind of final project for the course, we were asked to create, um, to come up with a creative way to engage other students in anti-racism work. So this was sort of, I, I thought of a children's book at the time because I was, I was working with children. I was working with elementary and middle school students in New York City's public school system. And as I was learning how to have conversations about race and racism with adults, I kept having questions about how, I, how might I start to have these conversations with, with children or, or the kids that I'm working with, right? How can I start to almost contextualize for them their experiencing? And race cars sort of became my answer to that question. You know, I sort of felt like I need, I need a tool to sort of start having these conversations and I didn't have one available to me at the time. So that was what really yeah, led to race cars. And, and then I self-published it and kind of, it went from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And for you, I'm kind of, can you tell us, I mean, I, I think I know why this book is important, but I'd love to hear it from you as well. Um, you know, why why did you come on? Why did was this project important to you? And why, why do you think this book is important? I think for me, what drew me to race cars is, you know, the story first and foremost. But, I, at, you know, at the time when it was presented to me, I really understood the importance of telling the story to serve as another valuable resource for parents, caregivers, and educators to use with children to discuss race. We've seen, you know, in in current events, you know, all over the news, you know, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world, all of these things that are happening around, you know, race and racism. So it was important for me to, to, to have this book out into the world as another resource. But also the I love the detailed and rich discussion guide that you have in the book. And that also drew me to the book, um, along with the fact that the book tells an engaging story about the, you know, such an important topic. And it's not just this, you know, nonfiction story, you know, storybook that's just giving you like facts or, you know, just stating things. It's more of an engaging kind of story about an, an important topic, but in a very age appropriate way for readers to understand both children and adults. And so I think this book is important because it tackles such a tough topic, but in a way that's that's easily digestible mm-hmm. to understand. It's not about traumatizing children or making them feel less than or guilty for having a specific skin tone. You know, for me, it's more about educating them children and adults, that unfair things sometimes happen to people of color, but also for children to be able to recognize when something is unfair and then have the courage to be able to speak up and voice their opinions. 
So I think this book is important for that. But I also think it's valuable in helping people to understand that having a choice um, about what to tell our kids and delaying the timing of telling them things like white privilege is just that it's a privilege, right? Mm -hmm. If you can Mm -hmm. sit there and say, Oh no, I'll, I'll tell my kids about this when they're 12. Mm -hmm. That's a privilege, right? To be able to, to, to say that, um, people of color don't have that, that choice when it comes to talking about things like race and white privilege. And so, I think talking about tough topics in with with children in age appropriate ways is important if we want to raise children who value equality for all. Right. And I, that's what is important about race cars. Cordo Kids is proud to showcase a diverse list of creators and subjects centering on recognizing and calling out white supremacy and racism. For a full list of titles and resources for addressing issues of equity and anti-racism, please visit our website at cordonos.com slash r slash anti-racist kids. Yeah, I really, I think that was another one of the reasons that I wrote this book is when I was working with children as I was doing my master's, I was working with predominantly black children and I was noticing how easily actually they spoke about race and racism because I I didn't do that when I was their age, right? And it's be, because, again, they, they were experiencing it, right? Their parents didn't have the privilege to sort of withhold this information or, you know, protect them, right, that the white parents have. And I thought, you know, white parents need to be talking to their children about privilege and racism because otherwise, you know, we see what happens, right? We see that you know, by the age of 12, children develop all these preconceived notions about the world. Children have all of these um, biases, um, you know, sort of solidified by the age of 12. So there's really only this short window to kind of to get in there and to sort of help them contextualize these messages that they're getting from society and to kind of help them, again, work to sort of end racism, right, to kind of empower them to end racism. Yeah, that's that's so important. Yeah. Well, you just answered my question. I was going to ask, why is it important to talk to uh, young children about white privilege? But as a follow up to that, you know, you, you just kind of answered that. But how would you recommend that educators, you know, caregivers, grownups use this book? I would recommend. So I think Race Cars is a great springboard to have conversations about racism and white privilege. But even before you're having those conversations, you want to make sure you you've talked about race, you know, in general before, right? You want to make sure that kids are feeling really good about their identity, that they have a really strong sense of self. Um, You want them to have accurate language for difference, to understand where people get their skin color from. You want really that foundation to be there as an educator before you introduce race cars and the topic of racism and white privilege. And I brought, I always have these books on me, but this is a great book, a great place to start. It's Anti-Bias Education for Young Children and Ourselves by Louise German Sparks and Julie Olson Edwards. And I find that this book really clearly outlines the four goals of anti-bias, anti-racist education, and gives great solutions for how to achieve those goals in the classroom setting. So that's a great place to start. Another recommendation would be to take an anti-bias or anti-racist course is a great way as well, because, you know, I think it's, it's not about reading one book and being done, right? This is a 
something that you need to be thinking about on a much wider scale. You really want race cars to be one part of a much wider anti-racist curriculum. A great course offered by Britt Hawthorne and Tiffany Jewell. I think you can, it's available on their Patreon account. So I think that's a great place to start. And then, you know, make sure you have a, you give yourself a lot of time to read this book. You know, the, as we said before, the story is very engaging and the story is great, but the, the important part of the book is really in those discussion questions, right? And the important part of the book is really what you do after you read it, you know? And I think as an educator, you want, want to be thinking about timing and, and really what your follow-up is going to be. And I think that would be really most important. Uh, the best tip I can give to educators. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you? So, you know, I'm a new mom, but only for a four-month-old, so we're not quite there yet. For you as no. a parent, how would you use this book? How, how do you recommend other parents use this book? Well, for my kids, since they're a little bit, you know, older, like I said, seven and eight, I would start off by reading the story. Again, we've all, we've already been doing that work that you were talking about, you know, trying to form this uh, foundation for introducing race and, you know, tough topics like race and racism. Um, so I've already been doing that work with my own kids. So I personally would start off just by reading the story, but I like your recommendation about having that foundation if you haven't already been doing that work. But yeah, I would start off by reading the story with my kids. And then after reading the story, I would kind of see what kind of thoughts or questions come up from my children before I start kind of telling them my thoughts and my opinions, because I think, you know, it's important to allow children space to kind of summarize the story in their own words first. And just also by making note of any type of language or any type of words that they're using to describe it, because children, they're pretty inquisitive and imaginative and they're curious little thinkers and, and learners. But also, you know, you never know, they might offer a different perspective of the story that you weren't thinking of, right? So I, I, I would read the story, I would allow my, my children space to ask questions or just kind of summarize it in their own words, and then kind of dive into the discussion questions afterwards. Um, maybe not every single discussion question. It's pretty um, jam-packed, that, that discussion guide in the back, which is a great thing. But, you know, I would probably tackle maybe like one or two of those discussion questions and then maybe follow up again another day, you know, with some of the other discussion questions. Or if there is an incident that happens in real, real life, right, real world example that we can use this book for, you know, return to this book whenever some sort of unfair or unjust thing happens to kind of, you know, kind of re keep reiterating it and reminding children of how the world is, right? And and what they can do to 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 be a better advocate for for everyone, but also to to really just kind of understand this is how the world works, right? And and so trying to get them to think about ways that maybe they can, you know, evoke change or help to evoke change as they grow. But that's how I would I would use it. But but I think also for like much older kids, that discussion guide is even is really even helpful for older kids, for grownups, and to have like more of a richer experience and more of an open discussion and dialogue. But again, adults should pay attention to any language or words that even older kids might be using and correct them if you think that they're interpreting something incorrectly or in a way that may be offensive to a group or a community of people. 
I, I love what you said about sort of using race cards as a reference point, um, kind of that parents can almost turn back to whenever anything is going on, um, you know, in current events and in the real world. You know, I think it's a great, it's a really engaging story that you can kind of use to help explain a, a number of different incidents to your kids. You know, you can kind of say, remember when this happened in race cars? Well, now this is happening in real life. What do we know about that? You know, help them kind of to start thinking critically about real life events as well. So I, I really love that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Jenny, why did you choose to use the metaphor of a race car to talk about white privilege? Very good question. I think I chose the metaphor of a race car because I felt that it was accessible and something that children could easily grasp. But I also wanted to choose something that had the idea of sort of a ranking system or a system of a hierarchy so that kids could really clear, uh, easily point out unfairness. And I thought a race kind of had all of those those different qualities. But, you know, the metaphor was always used with the intention of having this very extensive discussion section. You know, as I said before, it's not about just reading the story. You know, it's really about that follow up um, to encourage adults to help their children connect that metaphor to real life events. You know, and then also, you know, if you look at it, the book is really a reflection of the real race car industry. And if, if you look at Formula One or NASCAR, there are these huge barriers to entry that have made these sports predominantly white. Formula One is one of the most expensive sports to participate in in the world. You basically have to be a millionaire to, mm -hmm. to start participating, right? And Lewis Hamilton was the first and I believe still only black race car driver in Formula One. So I felt that was also really relevant. You know, you could really connect that to the actual race car industry. Right, right. Yeah. And you're not the first to to use race as a metaphor, right? right? When you're talking about racism either. So definitely you've seen it before and maybe not in maybe not so much more in books, but in, in other ways we have kind of seen other people do that as well. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think because it's so easy to kind of grasp and kind of understand quickly, you know, um, I, I yeah. hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And for, for you, again, you talked a little bit about what parents can do, but what do you do at home with your kids to practice anti-racism? What can other parents do at home or in, in schools to practice anti-racism? I mean, for sure, definitely read books, right? But books are not the end-all, be-all to every answer in life. But I think reading books helps. Definitely getting to know other people from different backgrounds, different faiths, you know, is, is also and getting really to, to to really not only know them, but really understand them and their viewpoints and their traditions, you know, just learning to accept people for who they are, learning what it means to be an ally. And, you know, you mentioned taking courses and, and things like that. So def, that's always a great way to learn by taking a course. But, you know, we all hear that this is a lifelong journey and a commitment, and it really is. It really is. Also standing up and speaking up and speaking out when you witness unfair or unjust things that happen, not only to your friends, but to even other people, right? You have to be willing to amplify the voices who actively advocate for anti-racism, anti-bias. But I think, you know, most importantly, I think people have to do the internal work on themselves to understand any biases or prejudices that they may have and really just be willing to accept it. Right. And if you have if you have these biases or prejudice, it's OK. You're not a bad person. Right. But you can if you're willing to, you can learn how to how to be better, how to do better, how to show up better. And if it takes time 
that's okay too, right? You, you're not going to read a book or read five books and just, I'm anti-racist, I'm anti-bias now, you know what I mean? And I think that's that's often the misconception is that people think that they can just read a book and, and be better. Um, but no, this is a, a lifelong journey that you're, you know, if you're willing to, you're going to have to take. And it can't just be, oh, I'll do it now because it's trending. It has to be, I'm going to do it because this is the right thing to do, right? Not because it's the trendy thing to do, but because it's the right way, the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. And I think if adults don't kind of do that work for themselves, then their actions, which is what kids really notice, are going to not match up with what they're kind of saying. Right. So I think going, you know, I think kids pick up on hypocrisy. Like I mentioned before, when I was in that private school, you know, even high school, I would notice that their policies weren't matching up with what they were kind of teaching us, you know, and I think, you know, children are, are watching their parents and they're seeing who their parents are hanging out with. They're seeing who their parents employ. They're seeing what neighborhoods they're living in and who's being prioritized. And so thinking about all of your actions, I think, is really important, too. And that goes for educators as well. You know, I think it can be really validating for students to hear an educator who's in a position of power to acknowledge um, racist policies at the school to, to say, hey, you know, our leadership committee looks a whole lot like the leadership committee in race cars. You know, what can we do about that? What impact is that having on our student population? You know, and so I think it's really important to be looking at all aspects of, of your life and kind of making sure you're consistent because kids will, will pick up on that straight away and, and they're going to they're going to feel that kind of disconnect. I cannot thank you guys enough for taking time to talk to us about this book today. I feel like I learned so much more than I expected to learn and not just about, I feel like I learned a lot about how I could have done a lot more in the past. So hopefully going forward, a lot of people will take a lot of this to heart. I have a question that I like to ask everybody who stops by the podcast, and I would love to ask that of you guys now. And we can start with Jenny. What makes you love a book? I think what makes me love a book is, if I'm reading a book and it, it finds a way of sort of articulating or beautifully illustrating something I've already been thinking about or kind of, you know, wondering about in my mind, but haven't had the words to sort of describe sort of a, a book that almost helps me understand myself better, if that makes sense, by the end of it. Much like um, this conversation has done for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I read a lot of psychology books, so that happens pretty often. But I think even in, in fiction books, you know, when, when there's a character that I can relate to or I, I can kind of... N- see an aspect of myself in that really makes me love a book. How about you, Charnay? Oh, gosh, there's a there's a few things, you know, they always say don't judge a book by its cover. And I'm not, I'm not a, a, a I don't necessarily judge a book by its cover. But you start your judgment by the cover. <laughs> I, start, <laughs> I start my judgment by the cover. Yeah. Now, a great cover doesn't always mean it's a great book. But a great cover is going to draw me in and 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 make me curious to say, ooh, what's that book about, right? Mm-hmm. So that's always number one for me. As I I I just I love a beautiful cover, but it doesn't always mean it's a great book. So uh, the cover, then you know, of course, the storyline. Um, I'm also looking for who's telling the story, who's missing from the story, and if the book speaks to me. Or, or to my family or to my children or to people that I know. And it 
don't know. It, it just if it's a if it's a well written story, I'm such a sucker for a well written story that leaves you with this like great message. And I think about you know a recent book that I recently read, The Lost Package. I love the way that book was done from the cover to the under the cover surprise jacket to the illustrations and the the way the story starts and the way it ends and it's just like really beautifully done that can like really just like draw me in and and just say oh yeah this book is a winner book design is key yes it is (laughs) so important it is it is but yeah and then you know of course if it's just a great story then that's just like takes it kind of over the top for me Thank you again so much. I hope everyone learns as much about themselves as I did today about myself. Thank you again so much for talking to us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to our chat with Jenny Deveni and Charnay Gordon. Race Cars publishes on May 4th and will be available online and in bookstores and libraries worldwide. We would love to see you subscribe to Quarto Kids Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can find all available episodes at anchor.fm slash Cast. And hey, if you're enjoying Quarto Kids Cast, we'd be grateful if you left a review so others can hear about it too. Special thanks to Scott Holmes for our theme music, Lydia Anderson for her promotional vocal stylings, Jenny Deveni and Sharnay Gordon for stopping by to talk to us, and of course, you, the listener, for tuning in. Until next time.